Welcome to Just a Taste. I'm Scott Curry with Chef's Best. We gather to talk about the trends in marketing, retail, and production in food and beverage that are shaping the industry. Joining us today is food industry marketing veteran, Abby Pryor. Abby is Vice President of Marketing for Bright Farms, where she has led marketing and business development efforts for over three years. Before joining the Bright Farms team, she held various senior marketing positions for Bimbo and was also a senior manager for creative services and promotions with Aramark. Most importantly, she is a fellow Nittany Lion and Penn State alumnus. Abby, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Scott. Pleased to be here. Hey. All right. So Bright Farms. Uh, Abby, as I understand, Bright Farms is is trying to revolutionize and, and kind of disrupt yet work with um, grocers, but really is, is revolutionizing and disrupting the industrialized and kind of centralized food system that we have all become so reliant on as, as we shop. Um, we're going to get into a lot of what those details are, but um, kind of from the top, share with our listeners uh, the Bright Farms mission, if you will. Yeah, the Bright Farms mission is to improve the health of the planet and the health of society. And those are big, bold, lofty missions, but we do that by bringing more local fresh produce to more people nationwide. And we seek to be the first brand of nationwide local produce, a little bit, a a little bit of an oxymoron, but it's working so far. Absolutely. Um, And as I said, we'll, we'll dig into, dig into how you're doing that. And um, it's pretty amazing. And it's, it's not too challenging to envision how and why it it could work. Um, but let, let's set the table here. Uh, I think we know that uh, on the one hand, our supply chain is is wildly inefficient. Um, right. You know, I think you know one of your basic kind of premises here is that it it it, it kind of just doesn't make sense to ship lettuce from Salinas, California to Atlanta, Georgia, right? Um, right. And, and there's there's a lot of reasons why. Yet, when you really think about it, the fact that I can go to a grocery store in San Diego, Minot, North Dakota, or a mountain community in Western North Carolina and get a banana for 30 cents has to be considered one of the great accomplishments in world history. And and that's really not hyperbole. I mean, it's really amazing when you think about it, but Bright Farms is, you know, kind of started a, a delivery system, um, it's not necessary. That delivery system isn't preserving taste because our food is meant to travel, as I understand, uh, as opposed to always, you know, taste well. So, so let's talk about, again, setting the stage a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the drawbacks of that food system. Um, And maybe even we make a list here uh, so that we can get into each. And I think I offered one, which is that we're we're actually not getting the best tasting food, but I know that there's a lot of others. So why don't you list for me a little bit to set the stage what some of the, the challenges are with this yet remarkable system that we've built. Yeah, and, and there are a few. The first is that, as you mentioned, we grow food for travel in, in many cases today. We don't grow food for the greatest nutritional value or the the, the best flavor and, and, and quality. We grow food to be able to travel long distances. Um, and that's one that's one issue. The second is the environmental footprint of growing produce primarily on the West Coast and then and then having that produce travel often five or seven days 
Um, the fuel that is used in that scenario is um, one of the greatest uses of, of shipping fuel here in the U.S. Uh, and we're also growing food in an area of the country that is particularly short on water. Um, even even though the uh, the drought has officially ended in California, we continue to use water that is many tens of thousands of, of years old from the water table um, underneath many of the growing regions on the West Coast. And so the, the way that we grow uh, uses significantly less water. Uh, than traditional West Coast field agriculture, less shipping fuel, and less land as well, because growing indoors allows the land to turn over more quickly and be more productive. Mm -hmm. Additionally to that, you know, obviously the, as, as climate change is happening, uh, there are largest, there are, there are larger and, and more frequent weather events that make it more and more difficult to have a sure supply of produce year-round coming from any of these regions as we're going through heavy rains or droughts or, or other major issues. So growing food indoors and closer to the source of consumption helps to, help, helps to cover retail partners with some of that as well. And I, I can, uh, being based here in California, I can assure you that, yeah, while the drought has ended, uh, the problem has not. Uh, I just listened to, I think it was a Planet Money podcast where they were talking to farmers and how, um, you know, the aquifers that are below, particularly the Central Valley, which I'm not sure what the numbers are, but it's something like 70% of Americans' food comes from the Central Valley. How uh, wells that are 50 feet deep that have produced water for, you know, decades and, and, and centuries in some cases. Those those wells no longer produce, uh, and and that they have to go down a hundred feet or two hundred feet, uh, because while you know we had ourselves a decent little winter for rain here, it it the water doesn't actually go down into these massive reservoirs and aquifers um, that, as I understand, take decades or even more to to replenish because we're talking, you know, has to seep down through all the the rock and the limestone and everything, so. Uh, there's the the discussion is still still very valid out here that uh, what we're doing is not necessarily sustainable even if um, on the surface you know the grass looks a little bit greener. Um, That's right. So on and on that note, correct me when I'm wrong here, but I think that what what you're doing is you're working with local farmers, uh, and you provide a, quite a turnkey solution where uh, through hydroponics they they can set up would look to be really massive greenhouses so that I, I think the simple explanation is instead of growing lettuce in California and shipping it to uh, Atlanta, you can grow the lettuce outside of Atlanta um, where I'm not sure, but perhaps lettuce doesn't grow outside Atlanta because it's, you know, probably gets cold <laughs> and whatnot. Um, I mean, is that basically the crux of what you're, what you're looking to do and you're partnering directly with the retailers who in supermarkets who, uh, see a lot of value in this, I suppose. Yeah. So, so at Bright Farms, we finance, build, and then operate local greenhouse farms, and we we do that in partnership with re retailer partners, supermarkets. Uh, so, what we'll do is we typically start with a, a retailer who is interested in our concept, who's interested in and in sourcing more local produce that is higher quality for their consumers. 
and we work with them to understand their needs and we size out and build a greenhouse that is typically exclusive to them. So everything that we grow goes to that particular supermarket partner. So if I if I speak about our farm in Culpeper, Virginia, it's just outside of Washington, D.C. We partner with Ahold on that farm and their giant divisions. And everything we grow from that farm goes directly to those supermarkets within 24 hours of harvest. And so right now we're growing for them a whole variety of salad greens and herbs. Those are products where freshness really truly matters and, and a long distance supply chain really denigrates the quality and the taste of the product. Um, so what we're bringing them and their consumers is the freshest product in the market year round at commercial scale volume. It's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it has to go into the category of why didn't I think of that? Um, <laughs> uh, uh, um, so you work with local farmers. How are you identifying and recruiting those farmers? And 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 you know, I guess I guess part of the question there is what what's in it for them? I mean, are they are they um, very excited about this? Is this um, to re, you know just a whole new source of income for them? And what we're doing is we're creating farmers, if you will. Uh, you know, when we went into Culpeper, Virginia, we brought in a, a general manager of, of, of our own that had worked in one of our other farms. We have growers that are, that are trained in horticulture programs throughout the U.S. And typically those are the two positions that we will bring into a market if, if we don't find a, a local resource. And from there, we staff with the, with the local community. So each farm has somewhere between 30 and 40 uh, farmers. We, we, we call our team Bright Farmers. And each of those people are, are harvesting, they're planting, they're transplanting, they're doing deliveries for us. And they don't always have to have been agriculture um, experts prior to working with us, but they become that quite quickly as we grow. Mm. It's, it's really interesting. It's a shifting of, um, you know, of, of resources. Cause if you think about, you know, you have to, you have to plant the plant it in California, you have to grow it, you have to harvest it, you have to ship it. So all the way along there, you have, uh, you know, said fossil fuel burning that's occurring. You have, roads that you know the roads that are, are being um you know worn down by trucks um instead you're keeping it all at a local level um where uh, you know the local community can support itself financially which is which is just kind of interesting not an economist to, to weigh um either side of uh, of it but um it's really it's an interesting shift um it all sounds a bit utopic in a good way um there must be some challenges and hurdles though, right? Um, wh what are they? And I, so I'll give you two that I thought of. So you, you, you can help dismiss these uh, or, or navigate, you know, or, or see them from a different perspective. But one is, is a question of land, I guess. Um, as someone who has many times driven across the Central Valley in California, for those that have not, it's an incredible experience. I wouldn't say to, to visit California just to do it, but if you get a chance, it's mind blowing. Uh, the the miles and miles and miles of of food that's being grown, and and when you get off the freeway and you drive these roads, you just it's just food after food after food after food, and you just it literally keeps going for hundreds of miles. Um, so is one is one of the challenges maybe land because. Um, 
you know, having grown up in the Northeast where I know you're located, uh, there, there aren't, you know, around Boston, there's not, you know, 50 square miles to grow lettuce um, necessarily. So <laughs> is that, is that one of the, is that, you know, how, how, I guess the question, how will that be solved or, um, or are we not trying to do a complete, you know, uh, you know, change here from moving the 50 square miles from one place to the other? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, our farms, um, so typically what we do is we look at uh, big urban areas where there's a high demand for produce, and then we go just outside of them to build our farms and to grow our produce because that's where land is, is more plentiful. Um, and oftentimes there is a workforce there that is hungry mm-hmm. for a year-round, a year-round agriculture job because many of the agriculture jobs – in some of these sort of suburban and or rural communities where we choose to put our farms have gone away. Um, and so, you know, we, we choose to go call it 30, 40, 50 miles outside of a major city where we can purchase enough land to build commercial scale farms. And for us, a commercial scale farm that can deliver about a half a million to three quarters of a million pounds of baby greens each year only has to be about 120,000 square feet. And that's because we have full utilization of our crop space, which in our case is on water at all times. So if, if we're talking about a crop of baby kale, for instance, in the summer, that crop can come to its full maturity, oftentimes in about 13 days. So it's mm. a really fast rotation. And as soon as we're pulling a crop off, there's immediately one going in behind it. So the space, we use about 80% less land than we would if we were planting the product conventionally in a, in a field-grown setting. So we need less land um, than, than the West Coast needs because we're growing indoors and we're growing hydroponically. Uh, there are okay, other growers okay. that are growing in urban environments, inside in warehouses or on rooftops. We, we don't do that um, because we want to be able to use the most of the, the resources of the planet as possible. So, for instance, we are a sunlight grower. We use glass houses. We use glass roofs for our greenhouses, and sunlight is our primary source of energy. There are other growers that are doing it a little bit differently. They may choose to go into urban areas where land is, is a little bit more expensive, but they're using other sources of energy oftentimes to grow their crops. So... You, you mentioned a uh, hundred twenty thousand square feet. So just tell me, is that that's about half a football field? Is that would would we say around that? Yeah, the growing space in in that scenario, just just what we're using to grow the crops is is only about two acres. So we're delivering upwards of half a million pounds of leafy greens, and that's a lot of leaf greens because they're very light, uh, a year off of just two acres. Uh, we have about another acre in each one of the farms for packaging and harvesting and and cooling the product. Okay, okay. So I, I always thought sunlight would be a challenge, because uh, I always imagine one of the reasons why California grows so much is because I don't know you might get three hundred days of sun, and you know places like Yuma, Arizona might even get more. Is that a challenge in somewhere? Oh, where's cloudy? Uh, Illinois, I imagine to be cloudy. Yeah. So <laughs> Michigan. We also, we also have a so so today we have four farms that are operating one that just that that is just about to open we are in virginia illinois ohio and pennsylvania and we're breaking ground this year in texas 
each one of those farms is a little bit different based on the climate and the number of days of sun and, turn, and the temperature and the humidity. So each one of those greenhouses has a similar design, but may be adapted ever so slightly based on the climate of that region. We do have grow lights for when the days are short or, or we've got too much clouds over a, over a period of time. So we do have lights that are high overhead over the plants that we can use when we need them, but we minimize that as much as possible. Um, mm. and, and oftentimes at this time of year, we don't need to use them very much at all. Okay, awesome. And, and is there... Is there a limit to what can be grown? You've mentioned leafy greens, you know, a, a few times. Um, I'm sure there's a reason there. Uh, but are we going to see, I guess, what's the limit here? Are we going to see avocado trees in Michigan someday? Or <laughs> or, or should we just be, you know, um, hopeful about this technology, embrace it? I don't see why we wouldn't. But also a little bit realistic that, you know, we're not going to have papayas grown in, in Ohio tomorrow. You're not going to have papayas tomorrow or maybe even avocados. Uh, those are some of the ones that are a little bit farther out. But there are all sorts of crops that grow really well uh, in a greenhouse. And, and oftentimes there are different systems within a greenhouse that, that each crop um, will perform better on. So in Bright Farms, for now, we're focusing on salad greens and herbs because uh, we feel like we've got a, a real secret sauce there and we're doing that really well. But there are plenty of other growers that are doing tomatoes very well. Um, strawberries are starting to come through very nicely. Um, there's a lot lot of learning taking place there. Uh, things that grow in vine crops, so peppers and cucumbers and eggplants, um, those are all on the horizon and in a lot of cases are being grown in, in greenhouses today, but they may be coming from Canada or Mexico, but we're seeing many more growers start to bring the, uh, the, the location, the growing locations back into the U.S. Mm. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to think about. Um, so for, for Bright Farms in particular, where, where what's the what is the kind of growth projection projection here? Uh, still a relatively new company. I know that, that the concept and you know as any you know really sophisticated startup, it doesn't just happen overnight. So no, I'm not going to suggest the company's brand new. But in terms of going to market, it sounds like it's it's relatively new. You're in five spaces I think you mentioned right now or five um five metro areas um how how quick is this going to kind of scale out I guess for bright farms and and I, I think we shouldn't kid ourselves that there might be some others that that mimic the idea um wh what should our expectations be is this you know 30 years down the road type thing or is this a uh, three years down the road how, how is this going to scale out no, you'll see us start to add, you'll start to see us add about five markets every year um, for the next five years to 10 years. So, so our goal is to really scale nationally first um, with, the, with the product lines that we have today. And we're beginning to do that quite rapidly. There are several other more farms that will come online in 2019. Those just haven't been announced just yet. Uh, so far, we have only announced Texas for 2019, but there are there are a couple more already uh, already coming behind it with more plans in 2020 and 2021. So while well, I have you, let's talk marketing a little bit because um, it, it sounds like you've got at least you know, at least three audiences to really, you know, you have to recruit farmers, 
you need to you know convince them that this is that this is good uh you need to get supermarkets on board which uh you know from some of the research i've done it looks like it hasn't been a huge challenge for you um but then you also need to uh reach the consumer right and um so tell me how you're you know as as the lead marketer uh for bright farms how you're you know attacking that with maybe a three-pronged strategy um so that people can understand when they're in the market um i think that people are interested in buying local i think that's that's just something that people are interested in but particularly around taste how are you uh you know letting people know that look this stuff is going to be fresher it's going to be taste better and and you almost have to get them to unthink uh how they've purchased which is frankly you just reach out and grab the strawberries and put them in your your mark in your cart right um how are you gonna how are you going about kind of reaching reaching out to let people know that you know this is really it's a whole different way to think about their food yeah sure so so i'll attack them one at a time so First of all, in, in recruiting our local farm teams, that has been less of a challenge. We find that um, there, there is a strong um, employment base, particularly around millennials and younger people who are really committed to understanding the food system, who want to be a part of changing the food system, and who see this as an as a opportunity to grow within an organization that's really driving change. So that has been, um, that, that's probably the easiest of the three. <laughs> On the <laughs> retailer front, you know, there have been real challenges in the, particularly in the salad category, which is the biggest part of our business in the last year. Um, there was a, a significant product recall on romaine lettuce that was, you know, that was very damaging to the consumer confidence in the category and actually resulted in a death in the state of California, which is, which is, you know, obviously a tragedy and exactly what our industry and our, and our retailers seek to avoid. So it's been a hard year from that perspective. Um, there was also a, a significant supply challenges in the spring um, with, with products not meeting spec and, and mildewing in the fields and challenges uh, in the springtime, particularly around arugula and spinach. So it's been a really hard year for our retailer partners in this category specifically. So we're able to share with them, you know, a, a continuous year-round supply of local, but that also has a really short and simple supply chain um, that reduces much of the risk and the environmental footprint uh, for them. So. It has, we have a receptive audience there, and we're trying very hard to work with our retailer partners to get them the solutions that they need. Mm. On the consumer front, uh, that's, that's where it's fun. Um, I think people have largely thought about the salad category and the herb category for some time as a bit of a commoditized category. Uh, the names of the products even are all sort of the same. It's either baby spinach or it's spring mix or it's arugula. Nobody's been having a whole lot of fun in talking to the consumer around where the product is coming from, what makes it different, and and that's where we can come in. The the products that we're growing are unique. We we launched a product this year called Sunny Crunch, which is an iceberg hybrid that is curly and crunchy and unique and different looking from what's on the shelf, and it helps to t helps us to talk about how and why we're different. 
And we talk a lot about the speed to shelf, you know, that, that when a consumer tastes a fresher product, it's like when you're at a farmer's market, right? That when, when you're at a farmer's market and the product has recently been harvested and brought to you by a farmer, it tastes different. Uh, and the quality expectation is really different. And so we spend a lot of time engaging with consumers in store or where they live and just getting the product in their mouth. And that's really what drives their, their excitement above and beyond um, an interest in sustainability and an interest in improving our agriculture system. And by and large, is the price point, you know, generally within the same range that we're accustomed to paying for, you know, something like spring mix? It is. Our production costs within the farm are a little bit higher um, because we're paying our we're paying our employees a living wage. And, you know, we have we have more more costs in the farms themselves because these are expensive buildings to build. Um, mm-hmm. However, we're removing the cost of shipping the product all the way across the country. So when we eliminate that cost of trucking for five or six days, you know, e- even though it's a little bit more expensive for us to grow in this way, it does even out at shelf. Awesome. Well, it'll be interesting to see how you're, you you can build out the Bright Farms brand because, um, as you said, like I, lettuce i don't know i think there's foxy i think i've seen but other than that you just grab the lettuce you grab the avocados and i, I buy a pack i buy a two pound thing of strawberries every week pretty much because i make a smoothie every morning and i i couldn't tell you the brand that i'm buying and i i certainly you, you can't think of many things that we buy with such regularity that we actually are completely blind to the, who actually produced it brand it, marketed it, and so on. It, it, it yeah. Produce is almost its own special category in that regard. And I think in the salad category, it's been that way largely because the products are very similar um, side by side. They're coming from similar farms. They're being processed in big process, processing facilities. So in the end, it's really the label that makes it different versus what's next to it. I think what makes Bright Farms different is the, the mission, the way we grow, how we grow, how quickly we get the product to the, to the store. It's the first opportunity in salads to really develop meaning around a brand and a label and consumers are responding well to that right well look forward to bright farm tomatoes uh throughout the country soon enough um although i'm not sure california it'd be interesting to see how you tackle that because some of it you know uh, it, it, it it is right down the street so they may not be the need but i'm sure that that's sure. A but you know something to think about for another day um so let's see how people can can learn a little bit more because I'm sure that people will want to. They can go to brightfarms.com. Um, there's a wealth of information there. And uh, you've got a pretty loyal Facebook following, it looks like. Not surprising when you're when you're talking about a company doing so many things well. Um, so people can connect with you there. That's at Bright Farms uh, and Twitter also. And then I'd encourage people too, if they get a chance to... Um, Watch the TED Talk by your CEO, Paul Lightfoot. Uh, he did a TED Talk, I think, at TEDx Manhattan. It's only about 15 minutes, but I encourage people to watch that as well. That's a, um, a good overview, uh, touching on some of the topics that, that we did as well today. Is there anything else about Bright Farms we didn't get a chance to talk about? It's such a cool company doing something that 
Uh, once you learn it a little bit, it's not difficult to envision why it's so important and, and could become something that um, it becomes, you know, more regular in our country. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if I could part on on one note, it's that, you know, being part of a mission-driven organization is exciting. Um, and obviously, you know, we are we are driven by the mission to, to really change the food supply in the U.S. And so we're looking for, you know, committed local lovers to uh, to follow us and to engage with us, but to also join us in that in that battle. And there are other great companies doing it as well. And we just feel very lucky to be on this mission and to having the success that we're having so far. And I think, um, you know, we're on the verge of, of some real change in the food industry. And uh, it's an exciting time to be a part of it. Feels that way. Feels like something inevitably has to change when you have something that is is works, but is as we discussed, is a little bit broken. So, best of luck to you. Uh, I think if there was ever you know someone we want to check back with in 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 some time, then it would be Bright Farms and and see how things expand because it seems like there's only one direction to go, which is uh, in a positive direction for everyone. So, thank you for joining us today, and uh, again, best of luck. Great. We'd welcome that and appreciate it. Thank you so much. Super. Thanks again, Abby. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on Just a Taste, a Chef's Best Production. Join us again next time as we talk to more experts in marketing, retail, and production in the food and beverage industry. You can always visit us at chefsbest.com to learn more.